0: You're listening to the Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Welcome and happy Wednesday to you. I hope that you are staying well and that you and your family are making room for Jesus to be born again in in your hearts at Christmas. Um, Thank you for joining me tonight for this teaching. And this is part three in a short series that Monique and I have been doing through the book of Amos. So we're doing this short series and we're trying to do two things. Uh, One is to model for you how to interpret a prophetic book of the Bible and talk about some some principles of Bible interpretation, as well as zeroing in on the book of Amos itself and along the way, trying to give some consideration to uh, justice themes that are in the book and trying to help put them into their proper context. And in the first two episodes we discussed, we spent extensive time in the first episode talking about the background of the Book of Amos. So we won't be rehearsing that tonight. And we've worked our way so far through chapters one to six. So tonight we hope to finish out the book and uh, go through the kind of the third major movement of the book uh, in chapters seven to nine. For those people who are new to my channel, I just always like to give a little explanation and context of my approach. This is a channel that is dedicated to proclaiming the historic Christian faith as it was taught and preserved by the ancient church and to explore how we can respond to what's happening in our culture today through the lens of the historic Christian worldview. And so this is not the channel where we do magic tricks with the Bible to make it fit what our culture is telling us to do. Um, we look to the scriptures first to shape our thoughts and our feelings, our opinions. And we use the early church as sort of a check or boundary or guardrails, as I like to call them to help keep us from wandering from the true faith. So with all of that said, let's get into this. Now, last time we looked at chapters three to six, So it was four chapters, it was a very thick portion of the book. Um, that was kind of the second major chunk of the book. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot, you were saying earlier before we went on the air, you're like, boy, it seemed like we did a lot last time. Yeah. I said, yeah, well, it's cause that was, I was kind of trying to do it in chunks. So we looked at God's case against Israel yes. and a lot of the evidence that he was kind of bringing into the courtroom, mm-hmm. putting together his, his evidentiary trail of how they had violated the, their covenant relationship. And so The big picture behind everything that we're doing in Amos right now is the covenant and that God's people have broken their end of the covenant, the covenant agreement, covenant relationship. And now they are receiving the curses that were promised to them in Deuteronomy 28. So if you really want to understand the context of Amos or any of the prophets, you got to, except for Jonah, which is he's a prophet to Gentiles. You have to kind of understand it through the lens of the covenant relationship uh, in those first books of the Bible. So justice is a big theme we saw last week. We're going to continue to see that tonight. It's a big part of the problem in God's people not acting according to justice. But we also always want to define uh, what we mean by justice. We don't want to just immediately jump to where our culture is telling us what justice is. Yeah. Where do we look?
1: In the word. That's yeah. where we get we get our definitions first there. Yeah. And you know if a word isn't there, you, like racism, you know, we want to make sure that we are definitely looking at principles to yeah. be able to define these things.
0: So if we're talking about justice, one of the best places to start is in the law. Yeah. Looking in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, but then we see a lot of carryover and repetition in the New Testament. In the New Testament, yes. So we have to keep all of these things sort of hanging together mm-hmm. and understand their proper relationship. So on that note, I had a viewer write into me this week, um, Andy. So I want to give Andy, Andy Allen. Uh, yes, yeah. So I want to give Andy a big shout out uh, for watching the series. He's been enjoying it, and uh, sent me this screen cap from the niv study bible okay and i thought it was interesting he had an interesting observation if you look under theme and message then this is kind of the intro to the book of amos and i think this was the 2000 edition of the notes it says the dominant theme clearly stated in 524 which calls for social justice as the indispensable expression of true piety Amos was a vigorous spokesman for God's justice and righteousness. He condemns all who make themselves powerful or rich at the expense of others. And I'm wondering Hmm. what what you think about that statement in light of what we've covered so far. How accurate do you think that is? I have some thoughts about it, but I want to hear yours first. Uh, I do have some thoughts.
1: Well, I'm not a big fan of the term social justice. I get why people use it, but um not a big fan of that that's what it's what sticks out to me first because it has a lot Um, of
0: baggage behind it it does yeah it
1: does like i I get it when you're trying to have conversations with people in culture and things like that but to me it just mm. um and it's not a biblical term per se per se but i get i do get why people use it yeah um and then as uh, indispensable expression of true piety dominant theme okay so social justice i think okay So I think that there are truths there like that God is is telling the nation of Israel like, hey, you didn't uphold the the covenant relationship Mm -hmm. and you didn't uphold the covenant relationship with me, one. And then you didn't uphold the covenant relationship with each other. Two. So between within your own group and then looking at people from the outside who didn't uphold co- who didn't not they didn't have the covenant relationship, but they did understand the way that you should be treating some people. Oh, the nations. The nations, yes. Yeah, in
0: chapters one and mm-hmm. two. Yeah. So okay.
1: looking at that, like how do we treat one another? I would say those things fall under justice and righteousness. My sure. my my relationship with one another. And we get the the foundation for how we should treat one another through the law. Right. So we so I see that. And I see, you know, him saying, like, well Amos Amos is a spokesperson for these things. I actually think that God is calling people back to remember that. Can we go back to that picture really quick? Um Thank you. So I can I see it, but it there's something about it too that is like, uh I don't know that he's making he's he's making himself a spokesperson for God's justice and righteousness, or is it that he's calling these people out because they haven't they haven't upheld the the covenant, their responsibility? I think to me yeah. those are a little different. And then he condemns all who make themselves powerful or rich at the expense of others. And it's I don't know, like what does that mean? Yeah, what is, what does it really mean? Because you could say that. I have, if I'm a, if I'm an employer, I became rich, so to speak, at the expense of my employees. Well, I don't know that that's an it's, accurate term or an accurate way to not think necessarily about an, it.
0: An injustice, yeah, yeah, because
1: I could be giving them health benefits, paying them a decent wage, you know, caring for their families. Like I, we can be doing all these things, and yet I still am the benefactor of. Um, a greater, um, a greater percentage of wealth or income than what they are, but that doesn't mean that they're not taking care of. It doesn't mean that I'm acting unjustly with them. Right. And it, you know, it's it's kind of like in um, Luke 16. There's this story of, and you know this because I read it to you. There's this story of the unjust, um, or the yeah, unjust shrewd or the, manager, the, the shrewd manager, yeah, the shrewd yeah. manager yeah. in Luke 16, one to thirteen. And that guy is is collecting commission or he, there's something that he's doing. He's not like, I would, I would take in like looking at commentaries and things like that. He's not necessarily poor or, you know, not doing too well, but he's not the master either. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know that by God's definition or standard that if I'm, if I am taking care of those who are under me like we have principles in the law to do yeah that it's wrong that i you know become wealthy or whatever yeah. and i mean there's there's all kind of law laws that say how you should take care of your employees so i don't know those are some of my thoughts yeah and, and just right off the she's top doing head. this as
0: a as a kind of a cold read here let's go back yeah. to it um so this is good i guess when i read this um I, yeah, I immediately had kind of an aversion to the term social justice. It surprised me that this went all the way back to 2000. So this is 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. This term was being used. I don't think as many people were aware of all of the academic baggage behind that word um, 20 years ago. But I mean, if we want to say that justice, let's just scratch out the word social. If justice is, is an expression of true piety, I I could kind of get on board with that. I mean, it's, an expression. Yeah. I don't know if it's an indispensable the expression. expression. I mean, there's other expressions of true piety, such as true worship and repentance of sin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of other things that that are important too. I think kind of the word that came to me when I read this is that it's a highly truncated description of Amos. It's sort of just focused on the social issues. and And as we've been seeing, there's, much more to what's happening in Amos. It's about covenant enforcement and you know, the kind of the legal um, going to court if you will, and the evidence and we're going to look at today the verdict mm-hmm. and and the punishments, you know, but going to the sentencing phase.
1: I think this is what happens to with a lot of social justice people um, they, they do take a section and then say see all of Amos is about this or all of Micah is about this it's about
0: justice mm-hmm. yeah. when not
1: understanding that for Micah and for Amos you need to look back at the law you need to look back at the covenant and God's relationship with Israel yeah. to be able to understand what's really happening here um but
0: this so, yeah. is this is the problem with just using the word justice and then jumping right into our modern cultural context that's that's not helpful. And yeah. it it really distorts what's happening here, which is covenant enforcement. So, OK, well, let's get into chapters um, seven, eight and nine. I found this little chart um, from Insight for Living better than the janky chart that I had last week. So um, thanks it to janky. it was pretty janky. Uh, Chuck Swindoll's ministry. And so this is a good kind of visual summary of the major movements of the text so the first week we kind of went through chapters one and two last week we focused on chapters three to six that meaty part in the middle and tonight we're finishing up with uh chapters seven to nine and so we can see um kind of what's what's coming here in this in this movement and this is a great time to remind our friends the importance of reading a book over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that you get those major movements. Yeah. You've had to outline enough passages I was gonna now. I going to say, I just did a
1: report like this. <laughs> yeah. I did it on Jonah.
0: Yeah. Yes. So, but, but you have to get that sense of the author's movement of what are the big pieces and doing something like that or creating an old fashioned outline mm-hmm. style. He, that's how you really begin to make friends with the text. Yeah. You, re, you have to take that discipline because then you can go in the deep dive of, well, what does this little section mean? This section in the middle of five verses or one verse. But if you don't have that big scope first, yeah. then you don't know how this section fits into it. So, yeah. okay. I agree. All right, let's pick it up here at chapter seven, verse one, uh, marks a major turning point in the book. Now, God is going to de- start detailing the punishments. Uh, the verdict's been handed down. Now we're kind of moving into the sentencing phase, and he does this through a series of visions and, and the of telling what the judgments are going to be. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming, and when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented, this will not happen, the Lord said. So in that first vision, Amos sees these locusts coming at the harvest, decimating their food supply. And um, um, Amos is basically pleading with God, remember your covenant. Mm -hmm. And he mentions Jacob there. And if we remember in Genesis, the three great fathers of, of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob, Jacob. and Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes. So by saying Jacob, it's a shorthand way of saying your people, Mm -hmm. remember your people, don't forget your covenants. And then God relents. And then he shows them a second vision right after this, go right back there. Um, This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the the great deep and devoured the land. So it dried up the water and the land. I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. And so the Lord relented. This will not happen either. Then he shows him a third vision. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. So specifically dealing with the north, the, yes, the house of Jeroboam.
1: They are, they are the ones who set up the false worship. Yes,
0: and so, again, we have to keep that passage in Kings in mind of what happened with Jeroboam, mm-hmm. the sin of these worship centers that he set up in Dan and Bethel.
1: I think that's important. It's important because of something that you said a couple weeks ago, where if we aren't familiar with what happened in Kings, the rest of it won't make sense.
0: We won't know what's well, happening yeah, in, in It'll this. just
1: be, well, the sins of this person or the sins of that person, but we have to understand what happened because then I think that sets up what it sets up the rest of the old Testament, but then it it even sets up things that like how we live today.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So yeah, Yeah. just wanted to highlight that. So
0: I have a question for you. Here's pop quiz.
1: Goodness gracious. I can't even
0: (laughs) school ended yesterday. So now I can just tease her a little bit more. She's a little better mood. Uh, What is a plumb line?
1: I don't know. I was going to ask that same question. I don't know what a plumb line is.
0: Well, I anticipated this. I have a little picture. Oh, goodness. So here's a plumb line. So a plumb line is a is a weight at the end of a string. And it's a thing that's often used by masons or other builders to make sure that a wall is straight. And it's, it's a building tool to help make sure you have s- straight walls. Because what's going to happen if you have crooked walls?
1: Your pictures will tilt?
0: Your house is gonna fall down for sure. You can't build a a a structure um, with crooked walls. Uh, That's that's not gonna work. You know, you would be surprised. I have seen many structures
1: (laughs) with crooked walls. I'm just gonna put that out there. But they're not
0: very sound, and those are usually the first to fall in an earthquake. So, um, so yeah, (laughs)
1: well, there's
0: that. That's out of plumb. So, so what do you think God is saying here? Uh, if we could go back to the um Amos a minute with the section about the plumb line, what do you think God is saying when he says that he's going to use this? He's setting a plumb line among my people, I will spare them no longer. What do you think he's saying there with that?
1: Maybe that he has he's setting um like a not a weight or a measure, but like a way to tell if they are standing straight, mm-hmm. you know, are they, are they within the, the way that I've set for them? So if like, I if all the things are here, you know, are you lined up against this wall or are you way over there? Some of you here, like, where are you at? I don't know. Yeah. Check so,
0: so what would that plumb line be? Like, what would be that? Because measure is exactly the word I had in my notes. If he's going to use a measure to see how straight and strong and true his people are and to judge them for being crooked or bad what would be that measure
1: i would say the law or his covenant
0: yeah with them yeah so that plumb line is basically a way of of saying you're crooked Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're not living up to loving god and loving your neighbor and we know the the 10 commandments because we have
1: it written down yeah i told you what to do
0: yeah exactly it's not it's not a mystery. Yeah. It's, it's not a speculation. Mm-hmm. It's not hazy. It's not vague. You look right in the Mosaic covenant. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what they're to do at the end of Deuteronomy. It says, these things are not too hard for you to do. And if you do them, these are the blessings that I will mm-hmm. send. And if you don't do them, these are the curses that I will yep. send. Okay. Let's continue reading here verses uh 10. We'll pick it up there. This is an interesting passage here. Then, Amaziah now I want you to notice what's happening the priest of Bethel okay that's an important place Mm -hmm. sent a message to Jeroboam king of Israel Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel the land cannot bear all his words for this is what Amos is saying Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land then Amaziah said to Amos Get out, you seer. In other words, seer is another word for Mm -hmm. prophet. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. So go back to the south. Get out of our kingdom in the Mm -hmm. north in Israel. Don't prophesy at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. So we talked about that the first week. Amos doesn't graduate from the big prophetic ministry school. He's a shepherd and running a vineyard, minding his own business, and then God calls him into the prophetic ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a shepherd and I was taking care of sycamore fig-, fig trees, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel. Stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Ooh, this is tough. You, your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured, divided up. You yourselves will die in a pagan country and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. So now the... The verdict is coming down. Here's what's going to happen to Here's you. Here's
1: my question. Who is the wife in this?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Well, let's work I our, yeah, let's work our way week. through it. So let's go back to verse 10. Now that we've read the whole thing, let's kind of break it apart a little bit. So Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Okay, so why is... Do you really
1: is, think Amaziah, who might have been related to Amazon, <laughs> um, you think that he was really a priest or was he a fake priest because he was in the fake worship center?
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if he had been appointed back in Kings by Jeroboam, and he was in that line of fake priests, yes, is he a real priest?
1: Mm-mm-mm.
0: No, <laughs> he's some kind of some kind of cardboard cutout priest. Yeah. He's he's not a real priest. He doesn't have the real credentials. He no. doesn't have the right genealogy. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the significance of Bethel again?
1: Bethel is a false worship center. Yeah. And it was created out of one, um, Jeroboam's desire to keep all the people in the north because they might want to go to the south and stay. Yeah. And
0: so because let's because of put the, the maps If we can. Yeah. Perfect. So you're starting to get the, you know, kind of get the jam here because through this passage, he's saying, he's telling Amos, go back to Judah. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want you up here in Israel. So, Bethel, you can see, if you see Jerusalem there kind of in the middle, then Bethel is straight up from that. And you see that little border? You see that little dotted line? I'm so lost. I don't know where we are. Uh, Bob, can you? I can't do a cursor. On you can't do now. a cursor. Okay, so see Jerusalem where it's a star? Yes. And then straight and, up. Oh, yes. And then there's Bethel. Bethel. Mm-hmm. And then Samaria is a star above that. Mm-hmm. That's the capital of Israel. Yes. Jerusalem's the capital of Judah. So he's, he's telling him, you know, this priest in Bethel, who's this worship center, this fake priest at a fake worship center is telling God's prophet, go back to Judah, go back to the Mm -hmm. South. We don't want you here. Right. So again, geography is an important playing an important role here in Amos. So let's go back to chapter seven. Poor Bob, all my shenanigans here. Doing this electronically. All right. So. Now, I love this part. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the heart of Israel. I mean, what is what is he trying to what is this clown trying to do here to Amos?
1: Get him in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, get
0: him in trouble. And then Amos just isn't having it. I mean, he's not intimidated. He's not backing down. He's not nervous. He's not scared. He just. You know, lets them know what's what's going to happen. And uh, they try to get rid of him. They try to banish him. All right, let's scroll down. And then we see the threats. Don't prophesy. Don't preach. Stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, Peter and John it, it, before the Sanhedrin in, in Acts chapter 3. And they tell him, stop preaching in this name. And it's like, you know, they weren't having it. And then... Amos just repeats, all right, here's what's going to happen. Your land's going to be divided up. Your sons and daughters are going to die. You're going to be taken away. You're going to die in a pagan land. So let's go to your question now. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. What are are your thoughts about that?
1: I don't have any. I'm trying to figure out who's the wife. That's a very good question. Like I can see who the sons and daughters could be um d- depending upon which tribes were in the north and which tribes were in the south okay but who's the wife
0: well it could like... be literal wives in in, oh, in telling them yeah. your wives will be carried away yeah that I was a that's
1: true i didn't i was thinking more along the lines of like symbolically
0: i think in the context given that everything else in the context is fairly straightforward i think it's talking about literal wives And that was actually a form of warfare that the Assyrians did engage in. So um, it it was a way of breaking down and exploiting both the men and the women in control.
1: Hide your wife, hide your kids.
0: It's a mess. Okay, let's go on to chapter eight. So we had a couple of visions. We had the vision of the fire, the locust, the plumb line. Now we have another vision. This is what the Lord, sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe, ripe fruit. I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Wow. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Can we scroll down a little bit? Uh, there it is. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, um, All right, I'm gonna stop there, verse four. All right, let's let's just look at the first three verses if we could scroll up. So this basket of ripe fruit, it's like if you have ripe fruit, that means you got to eat it,
1: or it's gonna go down. It's gonna
0: yeah, Yeah. it's gonna be rotten fruit. Like an avocado. So it's kind of like all right, this is the moment, this Mm -hmm. is coming. I'm my mind is made up. I there's no more hope of of repentance or um changing. But look at this word picture. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. That's a pretty pretty graphic picture of what is ahead for them yeah. in terms of judgment. So, all right, let's keep reading in verse. the second half of verse five there. So let's look at um, what are the specific justice issues that come up? Uh, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Skimping on the price of skimping on the measure boosting the price cheating with dishonest scales buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals it's the second time that Mm -hmm. image has come up in the book selling even the sweepings with the wheat so what are some of the injustices that god is specifically mentioning here
1: well, there's the dishonest scales. Yep. There's taking advantage yep. of of the poor and the needy. Yeah. Um, even like selling things that aren't necessarily for selling. Yeah. You know, like you don't sell the sweepings of the wheat. It's kind of like when you, when you collected the harvest, you didn't collect the things that you dropped or that were at the edges. Yeah. And so.
0: Yeah. So again, this takes us right back to the law that there is a, there is a wide assumption that these people know enough scripture that they know exactly what's mm-hmm. being talked about. And this idea of dishonest scales is a very big issue in scripture that you, you don't cheat the poor. Yes. You don't. And that's the real issue is cheating the poor and you don't inflate prices to gouge the poor. That's the injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, And you don't, Uh, do things that unnecessarily disadvantage the poor now that's not to say that we don't that some form of capitalism is the problem buying and selling goods is not the problem Mm -hmm. it's when you have two sets of prices yes you know and and you're gouging people and you're selling things that aren't of good quality or you're watering down doing things things
1: intentionally to keep people down yeah
0: yeah that's the problem. And so these these statements, we saw a lot of these themes in the readings that we did last week. And I, in fact, I wanted to go back to chapter five if we could for a minute. There were a few verses that we just kind of glossed over last week and I wanted to revisit them because they're really kind of the core of the book now that we're starting to wind things down. And, and reminding us that there's a combination of, of sins here. It's not just... Exploiting the poor. It's it's a suite of sins. He says, I hate dis- I hate, I despise your religious festivals. All right, so this is a worship problem. Mm-hmm. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Um away with the noise of your songs. I don't want your worship. I don't want your music. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never. Failing strain. And that was kind of the, the where I got the title for this series of Let, Let Justice Roll Down. It's from mm-hmm. verse um, chapter 5, verse 24. And I think you and I would, would resonate with that. Like, yes, we want our hearts to align with God's heart. Yes. And that we fight for justice the same way that God fights for justice. Mm-hmm. But we need to define that carefully yeah and so when we're thinking about conversations with justice oriented christians often when they come to the book of amos this is the core verse that they'll quote to you or the verse about selling the poor for sandals you know those are kind of their two favorite verses and they'll say oh see their main problem is here justice but i want us to understand to keep everything in context of of what's going on here?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that yeah, justice is a it, it's an issue, and, and I think it's um, clear in the scriptures. But the issue, even more so, is the relationship. It's the relationship they're out of covenant relationship with a very holy God. Yeah. And That's the primary that's the problem. problem. Yeah. You you can't you can't address justice if you are not addressing your relationship with a holy God. Because how do you how do you know what justice is? How do you define it? What where are you looking? Like what's your plumb line to know that you're doing justice? Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that justice is a huge problem, and and that's clear. And yet it's it what what is. The bigger problem is their, their, um, that they've lost sight of righteousness, of personal righteousness, of righteousness as a nation, of what it means to worship a holy God and worship him correctly.
0: So when people talk about justice or they say, you know, let justice roll down like a river, the, one of the first questions we need to ask is for specifics. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? Because God is super specific about what justice looks like. Yeah. Justice can't just be an idea, a theory, it, it can't just be a policy. It it has to look like something and it has to resemble what we see in scripture.
1: And you know, even if it has a, a semblance of, of scripture or of what we see in scripture. We also have to remember, it's kind of like if you're making a cake, you can have all the ingredients of a cake, but then as soon as you pour something else in it, it's not a cake anymore. Mm. So you can't say, well, look, I have all these ingredients and I'm just going to take a little bit of ketchup, you know, or a little bit of mustard and and you're going to get something that's not, that's not cake. And it's the same thing when we look at things like justice I have within scripture a very clear ingredient list of what justice is. These are the things that go into justice. Yeah. And when I decide to go into culture and take a little bit of something, something from culture and bring that in, there you go. You've lost it. We have to remember that God calls us to think specifically and not just, you know, Oh yeah, I have this. And now let me willy nilly throw in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, because I think that I can make it a little bit better. We don't get to play God in that.
0: That's so good. I like I like the cake analogy because um, God tells us very specific rules. And when you're making a cake, you got to have the right ingredients, in the right quantities, and measured the right way, and mixed in the right order, mm-hmm. put in the oven in the right way. You got to follow the instructions. Mm-hmm. It can't just be willy nilly and you know whatever it is. Yeah. I I think that that's it's a really really important thing to keep in mind. Thank you. I'll
1: be here all week. Go ahead, seminary. Go
0: ahead. All right, let's go back to uh, start up in verse nine here. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at night at at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I mean, it's going to, this is his way of saying like judgment is coming. Things are going to get bad. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning. All your singing into weeping. I will make you Uh, I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time of mourning for an only son and end the end of it like a bitter day. I mean, and again, God is not against worship. I, I hear so many people take these statements in Amos and say, see, God doesn't really care about sacrifices. He doesn't like all this formalism. That's not what this is saying. You have to understand y'all is formal the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know. can't set up fake yeah. worship centers with fake priests and fake holidays and fake sacrifices and think God's going to be like, man, it's close enough. That's all right. Yeah. You know, uh, just you do you. That's cool. No, and that's not how that works. The problem here is the fake worship. Mm-hmm. It's not that God's against the ceremonies. He set up the ceremonies yes. in the law. So I hear so many social justice oriented people, though, they'll take these snippets from from Amos and they'll say, see, God doesn't like all this formalism. He's against it. I'm like, you're, you're not well, reading it closely. So, I, I was in social justice
1: for a while. I haven't heard that. I've, oh, I've, I actually hear that from progressives. Progressives.
0: Yes. Progressives. That would probably be more accurate. Yeah. yeah. OK. And then we get to verse 14 here toward the end of the chapter. He wraps it up with those who swear by the sin of Samaria, so what it, we have to ask ourselves, what is the sin of Samaria is talking about? who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, okay, that's another key place. As surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. And once Israel goes into captivity, they never get restored to the land. Mm-hmm. and is a dire um, situation for them, a permanent punishment. Uh, if we could go back to the map really quick, if that's a possibility. Um, so we see Samaria there, the capital. It has a star right under the word Israel. So it was the the capital of Israel. And Dan, we don't see on this map, but it's it's way at the top. It's at the northernmost border of Israel. Bethel was in the south, and those were kind of the two markers of the kingdom of Israel. That was where these alternative worship centers were, the fake The the fake uh, worship centers. So, all right, let's go on to chapter nine. All right. I saw the Lord standing by the altar and he said, strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left, I will kill with the sword. This is so graphic. No one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves at the top of Mount Carmel, uh, I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide fr- from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. They, though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there i will command the sword to slay them Mm. i will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good this doesn't really sound like the uh the god of the progressives of you know god's all love uh and no judgment um so it's he's basically saying okay now here's the sentencing they're in the Mm -hmm. sentencing phase of here's all the punishments that are gonna is gonna come down it's a life sentence Mm -hmm. you're never gonna come back it's it's you know, it's a, basically a capital crime, if you will, and your nation is is done. Yeah. It's it's finished. Uh, let's keep scroll down a little bit here. Uh, I'm going to go to verse seven. This is a really critical verse. Are you not Israelites the same to me as the Cushites? Did I not bring up Israel from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor and the Ar- Arameans from Kerr? Okay, now I want you to look at this first part of verse seven. Are not you Israelites the same to me as Cushites? What is he what do you think the Lord's saying there to them? This is very well, important.
1: The Cush were not um Were the not, Cushites? They were they were Gentiles.
0: They were Gentiles. So, do you know where they lived? Maybe
1: the land of Cush.
0: Do you know where that is? Mm, East Africa. Okay. So these are these are like, below Egypt, um, they're Gentiles. And the Cushites are mentioned many times in in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. But what is God saying to Israel? Like, what is his relationship with them?
1: Mm, I, I feel like this is a pop quiz, y'all. Yeah, I, it is. This, I feel uncomfortable. Um, well, so can you if, put it if, back if up there so she can see it? Okay, so I, th- I think... That maybe he doesn't, maybe he's saying, I don't have relationship with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's saying, I'm going to regard you in the same relationship that I have with these Gentiles. Mm -hmm. That's who you are to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, like sometimes we, we like to watch uh, shark tank. And there's one of the personalities on there. He's fond of saying you're dead to me. Yeah. That means it's like, I don't have a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. I don't acknowledge you. That's kind of what God's saying to them is that, look, our covenant is over. If we were to think about it as a marriage relationship, we're getting divorced. Mm -hmm. You are no longer a spouse to me. Mm -hmm. You are no longer connected to me. We don't have this relationship anymore. So when you get divorced from somebody you're, you're severing that legal relationship. Yeah. And that person is no longer your spouse. And you, you remove the symbolism, you, you have paperwork, and it's over. And in fact, in Malachi, I believe there's a section where God talks about divorcing his people and giving them a certificate of divorce and that, that they don't have a relationship anymore. And he's saying, you're on the same level as all of these other pagan nations. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if you divorce your wife, if a husband divorces his wife, then he regards his, his ex-wife in, it has the same relationship with her as he that's would right. have with mm-hmm. any other woman. Yeah. So that's, this is a very important statement that there is no longer any special relationship. There is no covenant. They are far from his covenant. All right, let's wrap it up. Here we got uh one final movement and that is the word of hope. We've had all of this. Ooh, I'm glad
1: we get into some hopeful moments. <laughs> yeah, had all this, this was a mess. We have
0: had all this judgment, condemnation, yes. um guilty sentences. All right, so let's go back to chapter 9 and we're going to uh, scroll down here to verse uh, 11 and following. So in that day this is this is the hopeful part of of the of the book. I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the nations will bear my name declares the Lord who will do these things. The days are coming uh, declares the Lord when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, the planter will be the one treading grapes the new wine will drip from the mountains and flow over all the hills. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord. So the question here is, well, what, you know, what is this? This is a picture of um, God bringing abundance which is you know kind of the fulfillment of the blessings in deuteronomy 28 Mm -hmm. that there's going to be kind of this this restoration and this hope and in general this is seen as being fulfilled with jesus and the coming of the messiah and that there is this this future hope of a the true israel which ends up being the, all those mm-hmm. who believe in Jesus as their Messiah, that they become the the true Israel in in obeying Him, and that through Him we have abundance, we have that that life um, eternal, which is what Israel pointed forward to. It's the it is the foreshadowing of what will really come to fruition in the new creation and so there is hope that even though all of these bad things happen to the northern kingdom there is a there is a kind of redemption that happens through jesus and those jews that do get scattered over the empire as the gospel goes out and those those jews are living in the diaspora they will have their descendants will have the opportunity to once again come near to God through the mm-hmm. covenant and um, as, as the gospel goes out. So that's kind of the, the hopeful ending that um, God will repair his people and that from that remnant will come the Messiah. Mm. And he, even though it, it, it's going to get bad, it's going to get really bad, God will not abandon the covenant promises he made to Abraham and to David and a Messiah will come and he will reign with true righteousness and justice. So that is the book of Amos. Well,
1: there it is. Yes. I'm glad it didn't end like on that last note with like, you know, your wife going to be a prostitute. (laughs) That was rough. That was you think? Can you imagine what the wife is thinking? Yeah. Like, that'd be a mess.
0: Well, thank you, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it's been helpful to you and gives you some more of a framework for how to understand a prophetic book, how to understand the book of Amos, how to to do some basic Bible study, read in chunks, get the big themes, use maps, and understand kind of the background of the prophets, learning about the law and the sin of Jeroboam. These are all very important things. To kind of have in your toolkit as you're interpreting the Old Testament. So thank you so much for joining us and God bless and good night. Good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.